Hey guys, I have some great news. I've been working hard behind the scenes to bring you companies and products that I think you'll like and that will help to enhance your life. I'm happy to announce the first of these right now, and it's the official beard product company of the American History Podcast, Fable Beard Company. I've used their products myself for a few months, and I have to say, they are the best. The folks over at Fable Beard Company are committed to creating top-quality men's beard grooming products. They have amazing beard oil, balms, and other grooming supplies. I recently purchased the Candyman Beard Oil, and let me tell you, the scent is amazing. It's caramel apple, and wow, um, I'm wearing it right now, and I literally want to eat my beard off. And the wife, she loves it as well. But hey, it's just one of several that are with us here for only a limited time, and they're specific to fall. They also have the Harvester, which is fantastic, and then there's the Savior, which is pumpkin spice scented. I mean, who doesn't love some pumpkin spice at this time of the year? If uh, CBD your thing, well, maybe you're looking for some CBD beard oil. Fable Beard Company has you covered. They offer an entire line of beard products that use non-psychoactive cannabinoid that can be used as a daily supplement to contribute to the overall health and wellness of your beard. I myself just purchased the Roaster and the Grower. These are beard oils that are infused with CBD, and I cannot wait to try them. Now finally, I've been using the beard butter on my tattoos, and then the colors just come alive, and your skin, trust me, it's never been softer. Remember, the holiday season is just around the corner, so head on over to fablebeardcompany.com and get some great gifts for the bearded men in your family. Check out their entire line of products. And when you check out, be sure that you use the coupon code SEAN15 and get 15% off your total order. All right, on with the show. The American History Podcast, Season 3, Episode 16, The Imperial Moment, Part 2. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Morswick. All right, so welcome back. Before we get started, as always, thank you for listening. Please visit the website, www.theamericanhistorypodcast.com. While there, you can sign up for the email list, check out some of the sources used to create the various seasons, and you can sign up for our Patreon page. Speaking of Patreon, if you want to help out and get access to the bonus series 1983, the year the world almost ended, head over to the website, click on the Patreon button down near the bottom, and for as little as $5 a month, you'll have access to that Patreon-only series, transcripts of the show, you'll get access to the shows um, a week before they're released publicly, you also get access to a show I'll do at least once a year, maybe more, if we get enough signed up at the $5 level on a controversial topic. Now, the first of those is already written and recorded and was released in July. So if that sounds like something you'd enjoy, head over there and sign up. And finally, if you're into the social media thing, you can follow me on Twitter at American HisCast. I have also, as I've said on several episodes that recently, broken down and created a Facebook group for the show. So go over to Facebook and like the page and we can interact. It's a great place to ask questions or comment on the show. You can also email me directly if you have a comment or a concern, especially. Um, email always works, and I do respond to every email. The email is sean, S-H-A-W-N, at theamericanhistorypodcast.com. All right, so now that we've gotten all that out of the way, let's get started. This week, the song of the week is I'm On My Way to Mandalay. I'll see you on the other side.
All right, so last time we left off with Cuba and the Spanish-American War breaking out. And while Americans did call for blood, a debate emerged regarding U.S. action against Spain. The Spanish agreed to U.S. demands to end reconcentration and to seek an armistice with Cuban rebels. Because of this, President McKinley and the American business community did not want to go to war. However, of course, the yellow press forced the issue. McKinley was criticized by American imperialists for not being more aggressive with Spain. As far as the president is concerned, he didn't want to see how an independent Cuba would help the United States. Mark Hanna and Wall Street actually didn't want a war as it would interfere with trade between Cuba and the U.S. Sadly, the American public, prodded on by the yellow press, demanded war to free the abused Cubans. Sound familiar? Now, as far as McKinley went, his major concern was to preserve power of the party, the Republicans. So he decided to go ahead with war. Thus, on April 11, 1898, McKinley sent a war message to Congress. He urged armed intervention to free the oppressed people of Cuba. Congress, of course, agreed. However, there was one problem with all of this, as far as the imperialists were concerned. Yes, they got what they wanted. However, the joint resolution of Congress contained an amendment known as the Teller Amendment. This said that once the U.S. overthrew Spain and Cuba, the Cubans would have their freedom, and the United States, based on this amendment, could not annex Cuba. Now, before you get too excited, realize there was a racial component to all of this. Many who opposed all of this did so on racial terms. These folks felt that the United States should not annex territory containing large numbers of blacks and Catholics. Teller himself was worried about Cuban competition destroying the domestic sugar business. Now, as a result of the war, the United States ended up taking control of the Philippines from Spain. So let's talk about that for a minute. While the Secretary of War was out of pocket, Undersecretary of War Theodore Roosevelt cabled Commodore George Dewey to attack Spain and the Philippines in the event of war. McKinley subsequently confirmed these instructions. Then, in May 1898, Dewey's six warships sailed into Manila Harbor and destroyed all 11 of Spain's warships that were there. Nearly 400 Spaniards died. No Americans were killed in action. Now remember in the previous episode, we'd mentioned tensions with Germany were high, and they still were. Germany sent five warships to the area, more powerful than Dewey's fleet, ostensibly to protect German citizens and its interests in Manila. However, Germany was bluffing. And Dewey called the bluff by threatening the German commander with war as soon as you'd like. The German forces withdrew. But I should mention there were forces from other countries present, such as Britain, France, and Japan. Now, three months later, American troops arrived and captured the city of Manila in August. These troops were aided by Filipino insurgents led by Emilio Aguinaldo. The Americans promised him that once Spain was defeated, the Philippines would be granted their independence. However, after the war, the U.S. annexed the Philippines and Aguinaldo led an armed insurrection against the Americans. Now, another area we mentioned in the previous episode was Hawaii. However, we left off without it being annexed. In 1898, the U.S. finally annexed that island territory. The pretense was the need to supply Dewey and Manila during the war with Spain. The white-dominated government in Hawaii was eager to be annexed by the United States, just as Texas had been earlier in the century. A joint resolution annexing the territory was approved by Congress and the President. As for the residents of Hawaii, they were given U.S. citizenship and received full territorial status in 1900. So this brings us to Cuba. The Spanish fleet was blockaded and eventually destroyed in Santiago Harbor by the stronger U.S. Navy. The army invaded and took the high ground near Santiago without serious opposition. Of course, I'm sure you've heard about Theodore Roosevelt and his leadership in the war. 
Yes, his Rough Riders were part of the invading army that took the heights. However, while legend attributes the victory to the Rough Riders, and of course to TR as well, this is not true. All in all, his combat experience amounted to about one week of campaign and a grand total of one day of actual fighting. However, notoriety from the charge up San Juan Hill propelled him to the governor's office of New York in 1899, and in 1901, he became vice president of the United States. It was, as he later described, a, quote, splendid little war, end quote, especially for Roosevelt. One aspect of all of this that gets ignored is the fact that two black regiments provided heavy support and actually consisted of 25% of the total invasion force. Santiago itself was surrendered by Spain in early July. The United States ended up suffering 379 dead in battle, 5,000 dead from disease, mainly malaria. However, the United States was not finished. The Americans wanted to take the island of Puerto Rico before the war ended, and they did just that. Interestingly, most of the population regarded the U.S. soldiers as liberating heroes. However, 120 some odd years later, Puerto Rico remains a territory of the United States. In the end, Spain signed an armistice agreement on August 12, 1898, officially ending hostilities. Thus, we eventually get the Treaty of Paris of 1898. Cuba obtained its freedom from Spain. The U.S. received the Pacific island of Guam, which it captured early in the war. Further, it also gained Puerto Rico, the last vestige of Spain's American empire. The Philippines, however, became a major dilemma in the negotiations. The United States forces took Manila the day after Spain sued for peace, so legally it was not one of the U.S. conquests during the war. Thus, the United States agreed to pay Spain $20 million, and Spain handed the Philippines over to the Americans. All seemed well, but President McKinley had a dilemma on his hands. The Philippines would be a valuable colony for the United States, or so the imperialists believed. He didn't feel the U.S. should give the islands back to Spain, especially after they had fought a war with Spain to supposedly free Cuba. So he decided to take the Philippines and leave the issue of independence for a later date. Subsequently, you might find this interesting. He told a group of reporters that God had guided him to take the Philippines. So while it might seem as if all Americans agreed with these policies, the reality is they didn't. And a debate on the topic of imperialism emerged. At issue was, as you might suspect, the Philippines. Expansionist pressure from various U.S. groups forced McKinley's hand on the issue. The Philippines and Hawaii were seen as steps towards U.S. influence and increased commerce in Asia, especially in China. Some of these other groups included Protestant missionaries who were eager to convert Catholic Filipinos and spread superior, in quotes, superior Anglo-Saxon civilization to the, quote, savages, end quote, of the region. Businessmen, another group happy with the imperialist expansion, clamored for the new Philippine market. Raw materials, which could be obtained in the region, were also seen as a positive. Now, unlike today, the Democrats at the turn of the century tended to be anti-imperialistic, especially William Jennings Bryan. He feared foreign issues would overshadow needed reforms in the United States, while others worried that foreign workers would provide cheap labor that would lower wages domestically. Now, remember, minimum wage laws were enacted not to help the worker, but to ensure employers did not pay, quote, cheap foreign labor, end quote, and instead hired Americans. Others were worried that U.S. factories would be relocated overseas. Now, interestingly, a fourth group, perhaps in a fit of premonition, believed that the acquisition of these new colonies would require a permanent standing army that would put American soldiers in danger. 
Further, they were worried that higher taxes would be needed to fund such an army. Lastly, you had a group who feared a flood of, quote, uncivilized, end quote, immigrants. So I think you can see that many of these arguments actually are still used today and that some of the fears of a large standing army and what that would mean turned out to be justified. This led to the formation of the Anti-Imperialist League. It was formed to oppose McKinley's expansionism. It included the presidents of Stanford and Harvard universities, philosopher William James, Mark Twain, Samuel Gompers, and Andrew Carnegie. They argued the annexation of the Philippines violated the consent of the governed philosophy and the Declaration of Independence. Further, they argued despotism abroad might lead to despotism at home, and they were worried that the United States would be politically and militarily engaged in Asia. Now, sadly, the Senate passed the treaty in February 1899 with, surprisingly, the support of William Jennings Bryan. His argument was that the sooner the United States passed the treaty, the sooner the Filipinos would get their independence. Well, it would take almost 50 years for that independence to be realized. Besides this opposition, there were also court cases addressing the extent to which constitutional rights applied to peoples of newly acquired territories. Thus, in 1901, the Supreme Court ruled that some rights are fundamental and apply to all American territory. On the other hand, other rights are procedural and should not be imposed upon those unfamiliar with American law. The court said Congress had to determine which procedural rights applied in unincorporated territories. There, the Constitution does not follow the flag, or so they said. All right, so back to Cuba. The United States withdrew forces from Cuba in 1902 in honor of the Teller Amendment. Then, also in 1902, the Platt Amendment was passed to replace Teller. It sought to ensure Cuba would not be vulnerable to European powers and maintain American influence in Cuban affairs. Cubans were forced to incorporate the Platt Amendment into their own Constitution of 1901. There were three major provisions to the Constitution. First, Cuba bound itself not to impair independence by treaty or by contracting a debt beyond their resources, and the United States government would have the right to approve all Cuban treaties. Secondly, the United States could send troops to restore order if chaos broke out. Third, Cuba promised to sell or to lease needed coaling or naval stations to the United States. Now, out of this came the Guantanamo Naval Base, which is still controlled by the U.S. Navy today. Now, in the aftermath of this war, U.S. nationalism increased. Secretary of State John Hay called it, quote, a splendid little war, end quote. For the first time, the United States established an overseas empire, one that in many ways still exists to this day. European powers gave the United States more respect while the Monroe Doctrine was enhanced. A fourth result was the war helped to heal the post-Civil War rift between the North and the South as soldiers from both regions fought side by side. Fifth, nationalism was the result of an urban, mass culture, and mass industrial society. Now, one of the things we need to discuss are the diplomatic consequences of all of this. First, Britain became an ally of the United States, while Germany grew more frustrated with limited imperialistic successes. Secondly, possession of the Philippines drew the U.S. increasingly into Asian affairs, where the United States became increasingly concerned by Japanese expansion. The third consequence was that the United States began a large naval buildup. Finally, Latin American states, who had been impressed when the United States seemed to stand up to Britain in the Venezuela crisis, began viewing the rising American power and the Monroe Doctrine with suspicion. Now, one of the things that often gets left off of these discussions 
is the people on the ground. For example, what did the Filipinos think of all this? They had, wrongly, assumed they would be granted freedom after the war, just like Cuba. However, the Senate blocked such a resolution, and the Philippines instead became a protectorate of the United States. Needless to say, Filipinos were not happy. An open rebellion began in 1899 when Aguinaldo declared the Philippines independent. The result was savage fighting, which resulted in far more casualties than had been a result of the war with Spain. Filipino rebels fled to the jungle where they waged effective guerrilla warfare. American troops, unused to such unconventional tactics, responded by committing atrocities against the Filipinos. Again, I ask, sound familiar? In all, 4,300 Americans and 57,000 Filipinos died. Thus, anti-imperialists intensified their protests against the empire. They claimed the United States' fight to free Cuba had morphed into a war 10,000 miles away designed to deprive Filipinos of their freedom. Their argument was boosted by their stories of the atrocities committed by the American forces. Finally, the insurrection was broken when, in 1901, Aguinaldo was captured. In the end, a commission was created to make recommendations on the Philippines in 1901. It was led by William Howard Taft, who called Filipinos his, quote, little brown brothers, end quote. That might be shocking to us today, and obviously smacks of racism, but remember, this was the attitude of about 90% of Americans at the time, if not more. And before someone accuses me of excusing Taft, the reality was that he was, sadly, a man of his time. Anyway, the United States ended up instituting education, sanitation, public health, and infrastructure reforms, although Filipinos remained resentful. The Philippines were finally given their independence by the United States on July 4th, 1946, in the aftermath of World War II. All right, so actually that's it for today. It's a little bit of a shorter episode than I had wanted to, but um, when we reconvene, we will continue with American imperialism, starting off with the open door policy and then looking more in depth at the foreign policy of Theodore Roosevelt. Until next time, have a great day. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.